You are listening to Where is the Line? The stories you will hear will be depraved, disturbing, and true. If you are easily unsettled, you may find this program offensive. And if you are under the age of 18, fuck off. These are the writings of the late author Iris Chang, who shined a spotlight on a dark period of Chinese history, when Japanese troops slaughtered hundreds of thousands of Chinese and raped tens of thousands of women in just six weeks. Iris during the time actually went to the library and looking for the rape of Lankin's stories in the book. Turns out she couldn't find any book which mentioned the rape of Lankin in the, the city library. That's the big scope of the massacre. The war crime committed that was just too shocking to the Western people. Everybody drinking blood, everybody eating brains, some monster party. Everybody eating flesh, everybody breaking bones, some monster party. Thank you so much for listening to episode 44 of Where is the Line? My name is Kevin, and with me today, genuine forensic autopsy technician, Holly. Hi. Also with me today, a man who has tried and failed at convincing me of the scientific genius and geopolitical importance of Courtney Love. Oh, those are fucking fight Sebastian. Words. I didn't know we were going, we were starting out with a banger like that. <laughs> I will love Courtney Love until the day I die. I feel like Courtney Love has her place in rock and roll history, I but think you not. Just said I don't. That a really woman has feel... her place. That's what I just heard. <laughs> this better fucking stay in. <laughs> Look, I'm just saying, Courtney Love. Has her place in rock and roll history, but I don't really care what Courtney Love thinks about politics. Oh, I don't give a fuck what Courtney Love. I'm not invested in it. I just want to watch it. Also in the room, someone who came up here for a job interview in Kansas City and might be joining me soon, Liz. Hi. By the time you post this, Liz will have lived here for like a month. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we hope not. (sighs) Oh, before we forget, Sebastian, say something disturbing. Waterloo? (laughs) Water method. Water method. Water method. God, we're starting off great. (laughs) When you hear the phrase, the water method, honk your horn. So I've got an announcement to make. I'm caught up on Patreon. I did all of my personalized welcome videos. I've realigned the tiers to more realistically reflect my level of motivation. Speaking of Patreon... (laughs) Some names that I might have mentioned, but may have forgotten, so I just want to mention them anyway, so I make absolutely sure that I'm completely caught up on the Patreon. Uh, Amongst our mighty 33 patrons are Sophie Chamberlain, Rain Morell, Bribola, Heejin Cho, Digo, and Faith Kupex. If you'd like to join the Patreon, you can visit patreon.com slash whereistheline, or $2 a month, you'll get early access to every episode. 
And by early access, I mean the first draft that might have like random sound effects in the middle. And, uh, you know, $4 and up, people get stickers. And you go on up there, you even get a personalized greeting video from me, which is super awkward. It's usually just two or three minutes of me rambling on about whatever happened that day. And if you're super lucky, maybe Holly and Sebastian will even be in it. But probably not as Holly shakes her dead. No. <laughs> I'll suck your dick. <laughs> he probably would. It, yeah, he <laughs> Okay, we'll put that on the $20 level. (laughs) (laughs) One last thing I want to say before we get going on this show. I talk an awful lot of shit about Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and I stand behind every fucking word. (laughs) But there is one decent place there. Uh, There's a place called Druid City Brewing. It has the, I mean, it's cool not just for Tuscaloosa, which is super easy to do, but it's a cool place for anywhere. And I feel bad that all of this shit that I've been talking about Tuscaloosa for years, I've never mentioned the fact that there is a decent place there to hang out if you're a decent, non-homophobic, sexist, worthless, white trash, redneck person, <laughs> and you find yourself in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, go by Druid City and skip the rest of it. Is this our first sponsorship? No, I just feel bad because it's no. a really great They're place. They're just really nice. And I, I've never oh. mentioned that there is one little, little glimmer of character left. That's a very nice thing to do, Kevin. So, about that rape, huh? (laughs) You all ready to get into it? Yes. Yes. Let's do it. Restraint is something that is practiced by all of us. Restraint is the reason that I, for example, am not drunk, high, or both during every waking hour. Restraint can be credited with the fact that I've never kicked a screaming child. For most of us, restraint comes naturally. We understand the consequences of excess and we consider the effects that our actions might have on ourselves and others. In 1937, the Japanese troops that invaded Nanking seemingly did so without this hallmark trait of civility. Their most base desires were thrust to the forefront of their beings and they approached the civilians of Nanking without compassion, empathy, or any sense of humanity. The result was one of the most horrific events in all of human history. Despite this, it is an event that remains unheard of by most people. Like Courtney Love finding that missing Malaysian. I guarantee you, Courtney Love doesn't know shit about this. <laughs> if the rape of Nanking was something that you were surprised to have never heard of, you're absolutely not alone. You shouldn't feel bad. Thanks. Until relatively recently, the story of Nanking's invasion was seldom taught in schools, and no more than a few sentences about it ever appeared in school textbooks. In fact, until the 1990s, not a single book of any kind had been published on the topic of the massacre in Nanking. The author of that book that did come out in the 90s, by the way, would eventually commit suicide just a few years after its publication. On this episode of Where's the Line, we will explore the graphic rape, creative torture, and eventual murder of thousands upon thousands of Chinese non-combatants in Nanking. We'll cover the cover-up and talk about the effect that research on the topic had on one very talented young author. Much of what you're about to hear may sound made up or very unlikely, but I assure you though, fantastic as it seems, the horrors outlined herein 
were actually visited upon the people of Nanking. This actually happened. When last we left you, Japanese forces had taken control of Shanghai and moved on to what was then the capital city of Nanking. A catastrophic breakdown of Nanking's military forces led to a quick defeat of those troops who were tasked with defending the city. With the city annihilated, these troops who were conditioned to see China's population as subhuman are now inside the city, and with only a few exceptions, there is nothing or no one left to stop them from doing anything they want to do. This story, at this point in the story of Nanking, this turns into what just sounds like a list of just made-up, depraved shit to do to somebody. It sounds like something, you know, like a high school kid would come up with, you know, talking about things they want to do to their bullies. And I'm not a kinky man, mm -hmm. but I like to see what kinky people are doing. Mm -hmm. So I've seen a lot of shit. You've never seen this Am I going to be shit? shocked? I, I kind of, I think so. Maybe. Let's do it. Maybe. Because a lot of times, you know, we do these stories and a lot of times you're focusing on one person. And they do two or three horrible things. You know, Anatoly Moskvin was digging up children and making mummies out of them and shit. But what we're talking about now is 70,000 troops, essentially all of which have lost any sense of compassion for the people in this city. And it's, it's just like 70,000 fucking serial killers running loose in this city and just doing whatever kind of goddamn fantasy comes into their head. So we're going to start with these accounts of rape. We're going to get through some of these, uh, you know, and this, these lists of these things that they do just goes on and on and on and on and on. And so I just picked out a few things. And so we're going to go through the rapes and then we're going to transition to torture rapes. So I'm just going to list some specific accounts of rape. You know, a lot of these, the ones that I picked out, have a lot to do with forced incest, just because to me, those seemed a little more shocking. So let's start with... Uh, Is it the forced part that made you gag? <laughs> All of it. We'll start with a story from uh, Wang Azin. Reported the Japanese soldiers forced her and her sister to have sex with each other while they watched. And you have to keep in mind that people in Chinese culture have you know, different sensibilities about decency than we do. You know, they're That's more what I was thinking. I was like, it seems it's not shocking to me because the front page of Pornhub is like, oh no, stepbrother, I'm stuck in the dryer. But I'm like, oh shit, in another country? Absolutely the fuck not. Yeah, but you're talking about two very conservative young women who are being forced, who are sisters and being forced to have sex with each other in front of these soldiers, and they are very conservative. And They probably don't even know what lesbian sex is. That's what I was thinking. How do the soldiers even know what lesbian... Straight men don't know what lesbian sex is. Well, they have an imagination of what it is. Yeah. <laughs> and men are just animals. Yeah, and when they interviewed her about this later, she said, I was so ashamed and traumatized, I could never look at my sister the same way again. Mm. So after that, her and her sister, I mean, they just shared this awful experience and it never left them. Another one, one survivor named Lee reported that Japanese soldiers forced her to have sex with her father and her brother in front of them. Uh, gross. <laughs> Uh, later on, she recalled in an interview, quote, they stripped me naked and one of the soldiers would force me to have sex with my father while another soldier held a gun to my head. Then they would switch roles and one soldier would hold the gun to my father's head 
while another forced me to have sex with my brother. I'm going in ascending order. These just get worse and worse and worse. Uh, There's a whole lot of accounts of Japanese soldiers cutting fetuses out of the wombs of living women. Several stories of this came from a a doctor named Tang Junshan. Uh, He was a physician, and for whatever reason, the Japanese forces... What did they do with the fetuses? They did a various things with them. Uh, sometimes they would just throw them away. Did they make them like fight each other? That'd be cool. <laughs> no, they did throw them up in the air some and just bayonet them alive. Wow, I, that's how they. I just imagine the like a blue rock, like a bird, <laughs> like when people like pull, like birdie. And, oh, <laughs> 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 what the fuck? <laughs> Sounds awful, that's but that's awful. what I imagined in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and Dr. Tang said that uh, he witnessed uh, Japanese soldiers bayonet a pregnant woman in the stomach. They cut her fetus out of her body while she's alive. They hold it up like a trophy and then just throw in a trash can somewhere. There was another instance that the same doctor reported where the Japanese soldiers were performing forced abortions on women who were almost entirely to term, eight, nine months pregnant. And this doctor even remembered seeing several soldiers rape a woman who was in labor. And she had the baby after the rape. The idea that it's very telling, the idea that these incredibly conservative people are so fucking nihilistic and macabre. It's fucking creepy. You know, these, these, the things that they were doing to pregnant women, apparently this was just like a, I don't know. It, It seemed like they were targeting pregnant women. I mean, there's another account. Uh, A woman witnessed a gang rape by several of these Japanese soldiers. And this woman was also at term, and she went into labor while being raped. And the Japanese soldiers stabbed her stomach and then cut the baby out and threw it in a nearby ditch. And there was another witness uh, named Yang who reported seeing a group of Japanese soldiers force a pregnant woman to give birth in the middle of the street, and then they just bayoneted her baby in front of her. God damn, all that work for that? Yeah. Uh, When you go through this list of shit, it's like you can hardly think of a thing that they didn't actually do to somebody. At some point during all of this like rape and torment and things, the Japanese troops, it's not really clear if this was something that they were told by officers or if something they just came to on their own, but they kind of started practicing this, you know, no witness, no crime philosophy with a lot of this. So in the beginning, they're doing all these rapes and all these awful things, and if the people survive it, they survive it, and if they don't, they don't, but somewhere along the lines, they decide they don't want to keep witnesses anymore, and so when they horrifically abuse these people they make sure to kill them when they're done with them so basically if you were female during the invasion of nanking you were going to have a terrible bad time it really wasn't much if any better if you weren't female uh you know moving on to the tortures we're going to ramp three up through these again just kind of list them in a ascending order of horribleness one of the things that they did a lot of people the japanese soldiers would force chinese civilians and the POWs that they were collecting, which also, they were still, you know, they they destroyed the army, the, the forces that were guarding Nanking. When they get into the city, they also start looking for anybody who might potentially cause any trouble. So, you know, any fighting age male, they would do things like look at your hands to see if they had calluses on them. And they would say, if they had calluses, you must be military. And they would just execute people. That's fucking just for weird. That. 
So they're really getting rid of any any mail that might give them any resistance. So starting off, Japanese soldiers forced Chinese civilians into trenches and pits, and they would just bury them alive. They would just throw dozens of people into a pit and cover them with dirt alive. Uh, A lot of times they even made these people dig the holes themselves, and then they would throw them in and cover them up without ever even bothering to kill them before they did so. Another thing that would happen, and if you've, have you seen Cannibal Holocaust? Mm Mm-hmm. This is going to be very familiar. This they called the bamboo stick method. Of course. Essentially, yeah, if you haven't seen Cannibal Holocaust, the cover art is a a woman who appears to be impaled through the anus and the stick comes out of her mouth. They were actually doing this to people there. They would shove a bamboo pole into their anus, twist it around some to cause as much discomfort as possible, and every now and then they would actually start kicking the bamboo pole until it would come out through the person's mouth. Jesus Christ. That would hit so many fucking organs on its way through. (laughs) Hanging upside down. They really enjoyed stripping people naked and hanging them upside down from trees or poles, and at that point the soldiers would treat these human beings... Like pinatas, they would just grab a bunch of sticks and just start beating these naked people hanging upside down until Man, they died. Man, I just hope for a headshot real soon. Like, mm-hmm. just knock me out so I won't even know what's going on. Yeah, if you got killed early on, you were actually incredibly lucky. lucky. Uh, baby boiling did that a lot. Wow. When they found infants, newborn children, maybe even children that they were cutting out of mother's stomachs, uh, throw them in pots of boiling water. See what they did. Just see what they did. It makes me think that cannibalism had to happen. Are we leading to cannibalism? Uh, you know, I didn't come across any cannibalism, but I would. I mean, what else would you even possibly have the little glisten of imagination to put a baby in a pot? And if they're already short on crops and stuff, I feel like there's probably some unwritten records out there of maybe somebody took a bite out of that baby. I mean, so <laughs> like, much. It sounds fucked up, but like. They were doing so much awful shit that, I mean, even if I came across some accounts of cannibalism i don't even know if that'd make my top 10 list of incredibly fucked up shit that they were doing it's true i've got one more of these uh torture slash murder methods i saved this one for the last maybe it's not the most gruesome one but i have just never thought or even you know I, i i've got a pretty morbid imagination i think of lots of ways to kill people but this had never occurred to me uh and this is what they called the water method or the water treatment. Honk, honk. honk your horn. <laughs> and this is where uh, the Japanese troops would tie one of their victims up. And they would put something in her mouth and force water down their throat uh, until their abdomen distended. And then they would just stomp on them and watch the water come back out. Oh. And this normally... Uh, they would do this several times until it killed the person. I saw them do that on Pornhub. That probably led to horrific internal lacerations i was going to ask you what that would do because i've never even thought of this so you're pumping somebody full of water i guess that goes into your stomach and Mm -hmm. your stomach distends yeah does would your stomach inflate right below the rib cage or further down so a lot of people so everybody that has like you know taken the general anatomy class and seen photos of the anatomy organs whatnot it's very obviously it's just in a book what is that, 2D? <laughs> you know, it's a flat surface. But really, whenever you're thinking about anatomy, and it's something that didn't even occur to me until I actually got to see it in real life. There's so much intertwined in 3D aspects of it. So like the liver, for example, is so close to your sternum that 
there are a ton of people that receive CPR have liver lacerations. Mm. And so I imagine, and your stomach is kind of underneath the liver. Mm-hmm. So in order for it to come out, you're definitely stomping right on the liver as well because it's kind of tucked underneath of it a little bit. So I'm assuming it's just going to cause massive internal bleeding from the stomping part. Like the stomping is what's causing that death, I would assume, unless they're choking as well. Yeah, there, there's so much of this that they didn't, you know, they just, they kind of list it all. I mean, you know, if this if this were something that a serial killer did, we would have all of these graphic details. But there's so much fucking awful shit going on that they don't really go into detail about any of it. It's just like, here's another way to die. So all this is going on, all these rapes, tortures, murders, and things. And it's not as if everybody involved in this story was either a Japanese soldier or victim. This was a large city. It was the capital city of China at the time. And foreign countries and things had interests in the city. And so there were actually a a good deal of foreign nationals in the city when it got invaded. And these people mostly in the business district, I mean... Most of the people there are wealthy people who aren't from there. And so they set up a safety zone in the business district. How big is this area? How big are, are we talking? How big is the city? I don't know what the city is in terms of mile. I mean, it's an incredibly large city. I mean, it was the capital city at the time and it had a population of way over half a million, I guess. Okay. Large city. So it was like the size of Kansas City. Let's yeah, say that. something like that. Okay. And so these foreign nationals set up this safety zone in the western part of the city where the business district is. And one of the names that really gets associated with this is John Robbie. He was a a German national who was there working for the Siemens company. (laughs) I almost did. She started laughing before I did. (laughs) And so Robbie is a Nazi. Which makes this very complicated because Rabe is a German Nazi in Nanking doing his business things, you know, and and he starts seeing all of this awful, horrible fucking shit happening around him. And even as a Nazi, he just can't come to terms with that. And so the Japanese were obviously aligned with Germany during World War II. And so Rabe starts going around with his swastika banner on his arm, what if, saving it, what, lives. What, what if you're like a fucking Nazi that's squeamish? You're in the wrong business. Right? Well, I mean, it was a political party. Mm-hmm. I mean, not everybody who was a Nazi right. was executing people. Uh, they were just okay with it. As long as it wasn't happening where they could see it. Oh, like Republicans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's all these accounts of Rabe personally intervening he would come up he would see a chinese woman being raped and he would show the japanese soldiers his little swastika banner and they would very begrudgingly scurry away (laughs) and then rabe would pick up you know the poor affected woman and take her back to the safety zone what a nice man but he's also still a fucking nazi you know I mean, like, yeah, it's true. I, you know, even the most despicable of human beings, I think if you come across something as horrific as what is happening here, that even says a something. fucking Nazi has but, to say, look, this is exactly. too much. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That says something to how bad it was. What's if the title the Nazi... of What's the title of this episode? Nanking 2? Yeah, something like too that. Too much for a Nazi. <laughs> Too Nazi, too furious. <laughs> no, we don't say Nazi puns. 
I don't say any fucking puns. I hate them. <laughs> so Robbie, you know, the, the German national who was saving all these people. When the war ends, you know, he goes back to Germany. And, you know, if you recall, Germany didn't win that war. Yeah. <laughs> so when all of this shit gets done in Nanking and he goes home, he's just another fucking Nazi. Who gets arrested for being a fucking Nazi? Good. You know, and they they hold Rabe for a little while, uh, and they decide, you know, they talk to him, and they decide that he has been, quote, denazified. So he doesn't end up on the rack with a lot of the other Nazis of the time. He won them back by rescuing the raped women. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, uh, you know, like myself, the people still had the sentiment, you're still a fucking Nazi, yeah. but, you know... You're I don't, better than the other ones. I, I guess. think my most conservative opinion is I don't believe in the rehabilitation of Nazis. I think they should all be put to death. Yeah. So, so Rabe, I mean, still a Nazi, uh, which post World War II is pretty much the same thing as having a felony in America. You're completely fucking unhireable if yeah, you're that's a known fucked up. Nazi. And so Rabe, you know, can't get a job. There's really no good consensus on how many people he was involved in saving, but they say it's up to two hundred thousand. I don't know. That's a lot. It's a big, yeah. It's That's a, big a lot city, of people. You know? But anyway, after this is all over, uh, you know, Robbie's a Nazi, can't really get a job or anything. He ends up pretty much penniless. But his story kind of goes through China enough that uh, the Chinese actually funded Robbie. They gave him some money so he didn't have to be so poor. And when he died, they had his tombstone shipped to Nanking. So John Robbie's. Tombstone, which was originally in Germany where he died, uh, is now in Nanking. Nice of them. At least yep. they can appreciate the help. Yep. Even if it's from a Nazi. And so all of this is going on. You know that they've set up the safety zone, just thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands of people being raped, murdered. And if you remember in the first episode, there was a general of the uh, Japanese army who got sick and got replaced by Prince Asaka who was a little bit depraved and a lot of people feel like is highly responsible for what ended up happening. You know, a lot of people think they sent out these memos saying, you know, we kill every non-combatant, all of that stuff. They think Asaka was responsible for all of this. And now the general who got sick and left and got replaced with Asaka comes back to Nanking while all of this shit's going down, actually kind of on the back end of all of this shit going down. And he was absolutely unprepared for what he saw. When he got there, he said, quote, I assembled the higher officers and wept tears of anger before them as their commander-in-chief. I told them that after all of our efforts to enhance the imperial prestige, everything had been lost in one moment through the brutalities of the soldiers. And can you imagine it, even after that, these officers laughed at me. How often do you think it is that these are paraphrased? Well, they have to be paraphrased because they were originally written in Mandarin. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, I came across two questions. <laughs> One, who established the safety zone? Did I miss something? It wasn't a specific person, but there was an area where foreign nationals engaged in different types of business in Nanking. They kind of walled off their area and said, okay... We're not part of this. We are not Chinese. You are not allowed to come in here. And a lot of them were, you know, like like Rabe, were allied with the Axis forces. Okay. And so they build this wall around themselves because they don't want any part of this. And then they start seeing all this shit that's going on in town. And a lot of these people start. And they've just like kind of volunteered themselves to. 
Yeah, I mean, these are people who, you know, they're wealthy, so they're probably not good people. Uh, but you, even rich people, if you let them see enough horrible shit happening to somebody, you know, even a rich person will step in if they see enough. Like Courtney Love. <laughs> Never gonna work. <laughs> so Matt Suey, that original general, comes back in and he tells people, like, he is literally crying Telling these officers, you know, this is not how we're supposed to be doing this. This is just, it's clearly fucking awful what you're doing here. And these officers just laugh at him. Did he have any backup? No, it didn't appear to. I mean, maybe he did, but if he did, it wasn't anybody prominent enough to... Do anything about it? Yeah. He wasn't prominent enough to really do anything about it because his successor was Prince Asaka. So eventually, finally, after all of this... January 1938, Japan declares that order has been restored in Nanking. And a few weeks later, they left. Oh, that, that made me remember my second question, because mm-hmm. I had two. From the time they made it into the city, not the amount of time that it while they were outside, mm-hmm. but from making it into the city to whenever it was over... How long was that? There were two really bad weeks, and then it's not like everything just stopped at once. This entire incident through Nanking, from the time that they reach the defending army until they leave, you're talking about somewhere in the neighborhood of six weeks. Okay. About half of that's getting rid of the defending troops, and then the other half is just running fucking rampant through the city. So January 1938, Japan says, okay, we have restored order. Which is really fucking crazy because they're the ones that put it out of order. But okay, they restored the order that they disrupted. um, And they leave. Several Japanese officers eventually end up getting tried of war crimes and executed. And that's including Matsui, the, the general who came back and started crying because of how upset he was about what... He got executed? Yeah. Wow. Executed for war crimes. Complacency really was kind of the thing that they got him on. They felt like he could have done more to prevent what he eventually happened. He wasn't even there for most of it. Yeah. Oh, and you know who was there for most of it? Asaka. Yeah. Prince Asaka. Guess what happened to him? He was rich, so nothing. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. He actually <laughs> got promoted. Oh, sure. Of course. So we're talking about in the very beginning how this is a really fucking awful story and people haven't fucking heard of it. I mean, this is... One of the worst things, maybe even the worst thing that happened in this era of human history where there was so much awful shit going on. Concentration camps, Unit 731, all of these troops dying on the beaches of Normandy. This is maybe worse. Really. I mean, if you look into it, the shit that was happening to these people, that's so fucking awful and it's so weird that it's kind of an obscure topic in history. It's not obscure. You can look it up and find it, but a lot of people just coming out of high school have never even heard of this. I had never heard of this until you brought it up. And there's there's some reasons for that. Maybe there is... Well, most of the witnesses are dead, it sounds like. Well, there were a lot that were left. So a lot of the Chinese witnesses, a lot of these women especially who were raped, tormented, you know, beaten half to death, their cultural sensibilities prevented them for years and years and years of ever talking about this to anyone. They just wouldn't the do shame. it. And there was also, at that time, you know, after the war, Japan becomes a kind of a bigger player on, you know, the financial scene of the world with business and things. And so 
U.S. is starting to trade with Japan and things, and people are kind of having this relationship with Japan where they want the goods and the technology and things that Japan's producing, so they're not really inclined to talk a lot of smack about them. And on top of this, Japan is coming up with the most dumb shit fucking excuses for all of this shit ever. I mean, basically, they're claiming that China made all this up. At one point, Japan was claiming that they killed no more than 100 people in Nanking. <laughs> there is a photograph with more than 100 dead people in it. That from immediately Nanking. made me, I to a current event, which would be... <laughs> Is I don't know what to call them. The people that were saying that that one horrible Sandy Hook wasn't real. Mm. Oh yeah, like oh, it it didn't really happen. This is completely made up. Yeah, same thing. Except we're talking about the entire government body claiming. This. Yeah. Uh, another thing they claimed that was a lot of the footage and photographs that came out of Nanking were faked. They claimed that they're not fucking fake. You can look at them on what a fake. They still can't make a you know a decent. How could how yeah I don't how would that happen. They didn't have Photoshop. <laughs> you always call it Photoshop. I noticed in the last episode you said Photoshop twice. I don't know what I. Well, I'm also not under the influence every time. So <laughs> oh, it's fine. I just yeah, when she's time. high, she does weird things. She does pronounce weird w- w- certain words very weird. Yeah, or just completely wrong. <laughs> it's only whenever yeah. I'm inebriated. <laughs> like my favorite explanation from the Japanese about what really happened uh, in Nanking was that 10 Chinese men did that whole fucking thing. Oh. 10 of their own people. Did that include Killed hundreds of thousands of people. Did that include what? Uh, I was just thinking, did it include whenever they, like what was in in the last episode where they, it just took them an entire night to murder a bunch of people, like 10 guys did that? Yeah, well, I think that Japan's explanation with the the 10 men theory was that kind of goes hand in hand with their inflating the dead numbers. So I think Mm. they're saying that actually only about 100 people were injured or murdered. And it was these 10 guys in the own city that did it. Our troops were little fucking angels. (laughs) um so clearly that's not what happened you know and today now we're starting to see information about nanking show up in history books and things but up until the 90s you know there we were talking about this how like the u.s these different places didn't really want to piss off the japanese because they wanted to do trade and maybe that's why a lot of this stuff wasn't ending up in the textbooks but until the 90s there wasn't a single book of any kind written about the massacre in nanking and in the 90s, an author named Iris Chang, I believe she grew up, I believe as a child she grew up in China. Her parents were Chinese, but she grew up predominantly in the United States. But she had grown up hearing these stories, these awful fucking stories from her family, a lot of which had lived through this. And, you know, she gets up into her 20s and she starts, like, looking for things about this and isn't finding much. I mean, she finds evidence that it happened, mentions of it, but there's not a single fucking book about this. And so Iris Chang decides that she's going to write one. And as part of that, she goes and interviews people who were actually there. And this is, I mean, the depravity and yeah, well, I mean, you know, and again, it's kind of a weird thing because it's not like she just, it's not like she uncovered some secret. It was just for She's whatever reason, found the information. Yeah, but the information was all there. Nobody had ever bothered to compile it, though. 
and nobody ever really made as big of a deal out of it as it should have fucking been until her book comes out in the 90s and the book's called The Rape of Nan King and it's still probably one of the best sources for information on this. So Iris James gets, she's deeply affected by all of this research and these interviews that she's doing. And when she gets done with this, Iris Chang had apparently had some, some mental problems. She was on antidepressants and things. Uh, she had a history of depression. For someone like that, probably the best follow-up to that would not be the Bataan Death March, which was what her next book was going to be about. She didn't really get... I don't think she got very far in that because after, after she wrote about Nan King, uh, she fell into this depression... In November 2004, uh, Iris was driving down the back roads of San Jose, California. She pulled over and put a revolver in her mouth and pulled the trigger. That'll do it. Mm-hmm. I get it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Where is the Line? If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe to it as it does not come out on any fixed schedule. You might also consider leaving us a review on iTunes. We don't have any new reviews since the last episode. So if you were to get on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as they like you to call it, and leave us a review, it will almost certainly be read on the next episode. I have a review. What is it? Oh, actually, I don't have a review. I, I did. Oh, I have to say hi to my friend Jeremy. It's our friend anniversary. Hi, Jeremy. Oh, and hi, Zane. They're probably not going to listen to this, but I'm going to hold it against them if they don't. Ah, well, nobody else does. <laughs> <laughs> Another way you can reach out to us is by voicemail. It looks like we've got two voicemails to listen to this time. Our first voicemail comes from a very special longtime listener and our longest running patron. Hi, Kevin. This is Katie from Utah. Only now I'm in Maryland. Um, Utah nurses. I have two words for you. Wanda LePew, you promised an episode a long time ago and you've never delivered. I'm going to keep listening. Hopefully you'll get around to him, her. And uh, I'm glad you're back. Wish you luck. Love you. Bye. Man, I like her. I want to hear with her. Thank you so much. Yeah, Kate, she's been listening to forever. She was part of the Utah nurses, uh, Jaden, mm-hmm. who you and I looked at the pictures of one day, <laughs> <laughs> who co-hosted the show one time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she's friends with Jaden. Uh, and about Wanda LePew, that was a story that we were going to do a long time ago, back when Samantha yep. was on the show, and we actually got on, uh, I believe Wanda LePew had a porn channel on X Hamster or something, and we started talking to Wanda LePew, and then Wanda LePew just stopped replying to us. So, uh, I hope Wanda's okay, and if Wanda happens to be listening, <laughs> that's not fucking happening, but you know. We'd love to talk to you. Yeah, wing and a prayer. Would love to talk to you. Uh, maybe I'll try to reach out to Wanda LePew again to see what happens this time. But anyway, thank you for that voicemail, Katie. Uh, our next voicemail also comes from Katie. And I like Katie. Hey, Kevin, it's Katie again. Um, in case you've forgotten me because it's been so long, it's your semi-favorite nurse. Um, favorite nurse. Anyhow, I forgot to leave my favorite curse word, which the classic is twat curd. But lately, I've been keeping it a little tame. I'm just going with bugger, which, depending on where you're from, can be nothing 
something or oh my god I can't believe she said that anyway I'm glad you're back and I hope Kansas City Street you will bye what a sweet precious Aww. little angel yeah. so nice Kansas City is treating me well also for the most part you have to remember though because you said that Katie was your favorite nurse mm-hmm. but you forgot about Peanut uh, yeah well we did have a nurse on but I haven't really talked to Peanut a lot well, lately well I have oh, okay. Peanut is still cool Peanut's doing well Peanut's doing very well oh great tell Peanut I said hi Peanut goes to Druid City Brewing Company <laughs> if you'd like to leave a voicemail of your own you can contact us at 386-227-7848 does anybody know what that spells this time Dumbass tit. Dumbass tit. Spell out dumbass tit on your telephone dial to hear a special message just for you by our very own Where is the Line intro man again. That number is 386-227-7848. And I've also learned recently that I can reply to people who leave messages via text. Oh. So I've started doing that sometimes. Much to the surprise of people who leave us voicemails. <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode of Where is the Line. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs> we'll see you again soon. Bye. 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 Kids, when you go to bed, stay away from your closets and don't look 